Montgomery County lifted its indoor mask requirement. But residents shouldn't throw out their masks just yet. On October 28th, Montgomery County lifted its indoor mask mandate after dropping to moderate community transmission of COVID for seven days in a row. By the next day, the county had jumped to substantial transmission, automatically triggering a return to indoor masking. How did this abrupt change happen? And will the rules keep flip-flopping? This week, we are joined by Dr. Earl Stoddard, director of the county's Office of Emergency Management. Dr. Stoddard reviews Montgomery County's mask rules, tells us where the county stands amid the pandemic, and how officials are planning to get kids' vaccines out to the public once approved by the CDC. So Dr. Stoddard, on Friday, we saw Montgomery County jump back up to substantial transmission. The county rules say that when that happens, indoor masks are going to return. So what happens now? So we're going to follow the same model that we followed when it was originally enacted. When the face covering requirement was originally enacted, we provided four days of notice, and I would expect that we would follow a similar scale for this particular incident. So we're likely talking sometime about like Wednesday. Now, I also know that I just got off a call with members of county council staff. You know, we're all asking the question of, we, I don't think we all like the idea of this yo-yoing back and forth the way it has. And so I think they're very much going to be considering ways to address that moving forward. And I do expect that they, and they may choose to act at that point. We don't know yet. We don't know quite what's going to happen yet, but certainly I think the county executive and the board of health and the county council sitting as the board of health are not interested in this kind of yo-yoing that we're seeing. So I'm hopeful that we'll be able to, to make some modifications that will prevent this from being the case. So stay tuned. Yeah. I imagine that oscillation could be very hard to track. Was there any indication given on how the county plans to communicate with residents, whether or not they should be wearing a mask? We're going to try and utilize all the modalities that we have, both multiple languages, outreach through our business sector, things like that, to reinform people whenever there's a change like this. I mean, the key thing is like people just took down signage on Thursday, and now we're basically asking them to put that signage right back up, which is not the way we had hoped or expected this to go, candidly. We were a little bit nervous, which is why originally we recommended to the Board of Health that they do a 14-day consecutive period to sort of try and soften some of this. They decided to go with the seven-day period, which for understandable reasons, obviously, we were getting pressure after day one of going to moderate while we were still wearing a face covering. We were concerned about this back and forth. We saw the moderate transmission for a week. It's lasted for a little over a week and then back up. And so now we're seeing the yo-yoing on the other side, which is the reenactment. I think that's what we're looking to address. Like I said, we're going to provide the notice. We're going to provide many days of information in between when the notice is provided, when the order is enacted or reenacted, and try and get people as much awareness of the requirement as possible. Now, maybe the Board of Health decides to act on Tuesday and we don't end up putting masks back in. That is possible. I don't know that that's likely. I haven't polled the members of the county council to assess that yet, but certainly we're going to try and provide the most up-to-date information we can. And again, try and prevent this yo-yoing from continuing regardless of what happens in this specific incident. So do you have any indication if Montgomery County is going to keep this metric-based approach? Your county is pretty novel in how it attaches a number to when people can wear their masks indoors and when they can't. I know D.C., Prince George's County and Baltimore all have indoor mask mandates, but they do not attach this metric to it. Yeah, there's a couple things about this. So we're learning the downsides of attaching metrics to things right now. But I also think that there is something about being transparent with the public about what data you're following and when you're going to do things that affect them, right? There's an interesting balance that we're 
trying here. So we're finding out the consequences sometimes of attaching measures. And I think we need to just have slightly better measures and have them cover both sides of the issue. But I still think that generally speaking, that having metrics that people understand and you can articulate cleanly, just make a very defensible position and allow people to understand and just track the data themselves so that they're not beholden on you picking a date. Sometimes they can just track it themselves and they can then understand when things are going to happen or not happen. I think we're going to generally try to follow metrics. We've tried to be pretty consistently data-driven throughout this, but you can clearly see why other jurisdictions have not chosen to do that. Right. And on this show, you know, we've had health experts come on and talk about the importance of having metric-based policy, um, namely Dr. Monica Gandhi from the University of California in San Francisco. She's really pushing this idea of attaching a scientific you know, number um, to policy so that it is very transparent and people really know and understand what's going on. But as you've been saying, that number that you attach to policy really <laughs> matters, right? And so I guess we're really seeing that play out now. And it'll be up to the county on Tuesday to either pick a new number or change strategies. Exactly right. And particularly, and we were just having this conversation with Dr. Bridgers, our acting health officer, and I, and Sylvie Kinch, who works for our county attorney's office. As we get into this period, you know, I, I, we saw you know, earlier the FDA announced that they've approved the 5 to 11-year-old vaccination. We got the CDC has to act on that next week. I think they're meeting on the 2nd and 3rd. We're ready if on Thursday they can say you can start vaccinating 5 to 11-year-olds. We're ready to go with that. The reason why I bring that up is because at a certain point, as we get the younger populations vaccinated, we're going to move from the pandemic response to an endemic response. And the tools that we choose to utilize to do that are going to shift. And therefore, the metrics that we utilize should shift as well. We've been increasingly focused on hospitalization as a metric and things like that. And I think that is only likely to increase as we get more people vaccinated, particular populations. You know, the kids obviously in school are still a population that we care a whole lot about. And I think they're really, I won't say the last population, but certainly they're a big population that will really push us into a more endemic response. Continuing on that thought process, the FDA authorized the vaccine for kids five and up Friday afternoon. What is Montgomery County's plan to physically get shots to students? And are you anticipating a significant level of vaccine hesitancy from parents? I actually don't expect to see the level of hesitancy that other jurisdictions will see, meaning our population is very interested in getting vaccinated. And I expect that to be true in the 5 to 11-year-old population in the same way it was in the 12 to 15, 16-year-old population. We saw, I think, about 50% of the 12 to 15-year-olds come out the first basically 10 days or so. And I expect that we're going to see similar levels of uptake. I would guess that just like every population, we'll probably get to 75, 80% much quicker than most others. And then the last 20% will be convincing people or making the opportunities more niche to provide better access for the families who don't have the capability to get out and go to some of the sites that are existing. Now, as for how we're going to do it, there's a few things about that. First off, this round, we're going to have the benefit of the fact that pediatricians are going to be able to directly receive the vaccine themselves. It's a big point of President Biden's administration to make pediatricians a source of vaccine, because when we talk about young children, the person who is most trusted in their health care is their pediatrician, their primary care provider. And so obviously for the places where there is hesitancy, we think that can largely reduce that by having people who you're already comfortable going to for your health care needs being the person who's offering you the vaccine. Now, to make sure those numbers can be really met, we're going to have sites that are connected to our school system, largely through our middle schools, because they have the physical infrastructure and space to allow not mass vaccination in the really last round sense, but certainly more than just a single school, 
because we also want to make sure that we have enough staff to operate. In Montgomery County, we have about 175 middle and elementary schools combined, 40 middle schools, about 134 elementary schools. And so obviously that's 175 sites where there are going to be children 11 and younger at a regular basis. What we're looking to do is actually do a hub and spoke model where we do about 37 different schools simultaneously or in the same first week period that will serve the areas that we are looking at. And those will be further buffered by the pediatricians and also the hospitals getting their own doses as well. So we want to have many doors where people can come in and get vaccinated five through 11. And given the amount that we're receiving about 13,200 doses the first week for five through 11, our hospitals are getting another 25 or so thousand. So we're thinking of right around 39,000 doses the first week. That should put us a good 40% into the population in the first week to 10 days. We hope to make a lot of progress very quickly. And like I said, if they enact it and allow us to start vaccinating next Thursday, we're going to start. We're not going to delay. We're trying to be flexible in our planning to allow us to start as soon as we have doses and not just say, oh, we'll wait till the weekend because that we can easily plan for that. We're going to start right away. And with the holiday season already starting, have kids' vaccines come in time to make this holiday season a little bit more normal than it was last year? I hate to even use the term herd immunity, but there's a certain point where you get a protective immunity that applies to a broader part of the population when you have so many people vaccinated in one space. It's going to magnify the already existing high rates that we're seeing in our adults and our 12 and older population. I certainly think that we uh, are going to have a lot of occasion to really start to think about how we can do things that are different. Obviously, if you're vaccinated, you don't have to quarantine when you're in school, so that'll be a huge thing in and of itself. We think there's going to be a lot of collateral benefits. Now, the holidays, obviously, we were on the ramp up at this point last year. We're hoping that, you know, what we saw going back in the substantial is not a sign of that happening again. But certainly, I think that the vaccinations offer us the best opportunity to prevent even another, I don't want to even call it another peak, but certainly even another a bump on the road. We're really going to, with this 5 through 11-year-old population, once we move into vaccinations, get many people vaccinated, talk about endemic disease a lot more than pandemic disease. You mentioned this move from pandemic to an endemic. Are we really that close to normalcy? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, that's certainly our hope. We've been oft accused of wanting to keep people in masks forever and wanting to maintain control. I don't get that sense when I meet with county executive, with our health officer. We've been cautious. I think we've been trying to be safe. And I think that's been reflected in our results. But I think we have a population that is, as our vaccination rate sort of illustrates, that generally wants us to be cautious. Now, that said, at a certain point, we have to adjust to the science and the reality on the ground. And when we have such a significant portion of our population that will be fully vaccinated after the 5 to 11-year-olds, then I think it's incumbent upon us to consider whether the tools that we used for the last now 20 plus months are really appropriate in a different setting when so many people are vaccinated and many of the, not just so many people are vaccinated, because we could already say that's true, but schools still represent a major area of interaction where there isn't vaccine available to those students. And once we eliminate that portal as a potential place for exposures to occur, and I'm not saying that schools are inherently unsafe, I don't believe that. It's just that what we do as a community affects what happens in the schools, but there's less opportunity for that to happen once the five to 11 year olds are vaccinated. What is one final takeaway for our audience, something you feel people need to keep in mind? 
I would still encourage people to contact your pediatrician now, find out if they're going to have the vaccine available. There's some things that you can do in preparation for this likely approval to occur. We're going to try and make as many opportunities available as possible. The other thing I would also plug is there's another tool that is available to us, and that's rapid testing. The county offers PCR testing, but many places are offering rapid testing. You can get it at your local CVS or Walgreens or wherever you shop for things like that. And rapid testing is a really effective way during the holiday season, particularly even for people who are vaccinated to know their status and make sure that they are uh, well protected. For my family, we're going to, you know, we're going to gather for Thanksgiving. We're going to enjoy our time, but we're in order to make it safe and effective for everyone. We're going to have everyone rapid test in the morning before Thanksgiving. Last year, we were spiking at this time. We don't want to do that. There are just some additional tools in the toolbox that we would encourage people to utilize. The Montgomery County Council is set to meet Tuesday, tomorrow, for a COVID-19 update and to review its face covering policy. Montgomery County remains one of the highest vaccinated areas in the country. More than 75% of the population has at least one dose, and nearly 70% are fully vaccinated. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Laura Svitalniak. And me, Luke Garrett. Our cover art was created by cartoonist Audrey Garrett, and our music is courtesy of Locksbeat. Join us next Monday as the world recovers.